Hey, hey there, listeners. Welcome back. It is Talk Talk in 10. Uh, it might be a little longer than 10 today, not going to lie. Bit, yeah, <laughs> but that's because we have a really special show. I am one of your co-hosts, Nina Hall. I'm your other co-host, Paris Nainani. And today we have a very special episode. We're not going to do our usual segmented thing. Um, instead, we just have one big segment because we've got two very, very special guests who have kindly agreed to share their time with us on a Friday afternoon. Uh, and we know how big a deal that is. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, uh, we know, as you know, listeners, we're, we're doing um, indigenous societies and knowledge in, in, our, uh, in our TOK classes this week and next week as well. Um, and one of the things that we were considering, that Nina and I were considering, was how we have a very limited understanding of indigenous societies ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that we thought would help is if we got the indigenous perspective onto the show. And so we've got two awesome students from grade 11 and grade 12, Ruth and Anas. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Anas. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and they've very kindly agreed to share their time with us and to tell us a little bit of their side of the story. And we just thought we'd come up with a few questions that we could ask them, um, things that we were curious about and things that have come up kind of in our classes as well um, from students in our classes uh, so that we could get a more holistic perspective of this. Yeah. 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 Coolio, shall we begin? Let's do it. All right. All right. So, question one. Um, well, firstly, welcome to the show. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's really awesome you guys took the time to do this. Thank you. Um, but the first question we wanted to start with is um, by asking you to talk about your respective indigenous identities. Like, who are you and kind of which indigenous society do you feel like you come from or do you come from? Uh, Anas, do you want to yeah, start? I'll take it. All right. <laughs> All right, so um, roughly, I think uh, my nationality, I'm Namibian, um, but um, my ethnicity is different. I'm uh, Vambu. Um, that's a tribe in Namibia, and there are a lot of different dialects and substance of the tribe, and I come from the Kwanyama tribe specifically. Um, Ruth? So I'm also Vambu, like Enos, but then I'm from a different dialect. I'm from Oshuparuzi, and we uh we kind of have the same things like it's mostly the same the language just differs in the pronunciation of words and a few things we do like in cultural stuff there's a few differences yeah, yeah. cool thank you thank you really cool. yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. so i'm really interested you guys are coming from the same uh nation yeah. but you were also saying that like i have a different ethnicity though my tribal ethnicities exactly mm -hmm. and it's it's even fun to see like or fun to hear. I'm, a, I'm my background is in ling in linguistics, and it's fun to hear your differences as well, um, and hear your accents, and yeah. hear the way that you speak. It's really beautiful, mm. and the names that we're talking about is so great. Yeah. Um, so our second question, I was hoping that you could explain to our listeners what actually makes a person indigenous. So, in other words, how do you define indigenous, and sort of like how much indigenous blood, if you will, does one need to be? indigenous or at what point is someone so assimilated into a dominant culture that they are no longer considered indigenous yeah <sighs> or is it even about blood Ooh. like where is it yeah where like do you, where where does the definition what's start the scope? again where, what's the scope the, what scope. Is the scope ding 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 okay <laughs> we're yes. 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 um yeah you can go first okay, yeah. i can okay so i would like to talk about the Oshera group in namibia because mm -hmm. me and Enosa both Oshwambo, so it's more or less the same but because from my previous school, I stayed with most um, people from Oshereiro tribe and I got to know a lot more. 
So there are Himbas and then there are Ovaherero people. But the, but more or less they are the same people. Like they have the same it's almost the language is almost the same. It's just again the pronunciation of the words. And I would say that, you know, there are Himbas that have gone into the urban areas and then there are those that are still in their indigenous areas where they are, you know the the, the the family comes from, the elderly people. And then I would say that they still wear their traditional clothes, they still stick to their roots, they still do things in their traditional ways. But then people in the urban areas, you know, they have changed. They wear modern clothes. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't do all those things such as maybe removing the, the, the underpart, the, 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 you know, some of the teeth. Mm-hmm. Unlike the people back, the indigenous people who live in the other areas still do that. Mm-hmm. And then the people in the urban areas don't do that anymore. So mm-hmm. maybe I would say to be considered, to still be considered indigenous is also, you know, sticking to a few things that really identify you as from this group. But then when you slowly start moving away from things that identify you as from this group, that's when you start losing, you know, that indigenous identity. So is there something, like, specific, like, these few things are what you need to stick to? to yeah, so I, that you can be identified yeah. as, as a Himba person. But then slowly when you don't have those identities anymore, no one will be able to say, like, oh, yeah, this is um, this person is from the uh, of a Himba tribe because they have this and they wear this and they do it this way. Right. Mm-hmm. So is that is that, like, a commonality could we suppose among all indigenous societies, or are you speaking specifically to the Himba tribe? Um, I'm not sure. So I'd mostly be saying I'm speaking specifically to Ashwin of a Himba tribe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I actually agree with everything that Ruth said. Um, I think that when it comes to like differentiating between whether someone counts as indigenous or not, mm-hmm. um, it's less about like a hard stop line that you draw, and more about um, a sort of degree of scale to mm-hmm. it. Um, so I think that um, to be like truly completely indigenous, we'd have to um, number one live within the area, because mm-hmm. um, indigenous knowledge is usually incredibly tied to the geographic setting within it w- which it's produced. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, you also have to be in touch with the community and um, hearing out the customs and the beliefs, and you also most importantly you have to identify as a part of that community. Mm-hmm. And um, that aspect of identification becomes a lot more difficult the further you live away from the community and the less of the activities and things that you do with the community um, that um, you don't get, like do in your daily life anymore. And so there's a sort of um, sliding scale to it where like you can be very, very indigenous, like you're completely engrossed in the life, right. or like um, slightly indigenous and then not really indigenous. Mm-hmm. And I think eventually, ultimately, it comes down to a matter of self-identification. Mm-hmm. And um, the extent to which you're able to speak on indigenous issues will be inherently tied to how um, connected you are, like, in terms of actions, instead of in terms of how you live, in terms of your experience, how connected you are to, to that. So I would say that um, someone from an indigenous who grew up in an indigenous community mm-hmm. and they moved to a place halfway across the world, mm-hmm. they could still be count as uh, they could still count as like um, part of that indigenous community because they grew up within that and they still understand and um, have the experiences necessary um, within um, to, to to understand and like. Um, connect with the uh, indigenous society but um someone who is a child of that person per se mm-hmm. but they grew up halfway across the world mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to identify as indigenous they may have indigenous blood but to identify as indigenous and by indigenous we're meaning like smaller communities um whose like um culture is heavily tied to the geographic setting mm-hmm. um that person that the child the child of that person who's moved over mm-hmm. they may have indigenous indigenous blood i would say 
but I can't say that they are indigenous people because mm-hmm. they don't really have that experience. Eventually, like um, the the standard for assimilation is that where you're born and the environment that you're exposed to as a child basically molds like who you are and the beliefs and the things that you um, think about. And that geographic setting, that um, that context, mm-hmm. is incredibly important in deciding whether you think with the um, sort of mental framework of an indigenous person or um, otherwise. I am so interested as you're talking about this definition and who indigenous people are, and also as you guys being indigenous and living halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. Now that you are here in Singapore, do you notice, do you feel this distancing happening with your indigenous cultures, or do you feel like this strength because you're more aware? I can go first? Okay. <laughs> um, so for me personally, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Because to begin with, I wasn't very deeply um, a huge part of like my indigenous community. Because um, I, my, f- I guess my family structure is incredibly like fractured. My mom lives um, on a coastal town. My dad lives in the central part of the the, the, the country, the city, mm-hmm. capital city. And I live in the north with my aunt and um, my cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because I live in a town and I go to the village on holidays, and the village is where like a lot of the when people, what person could say as close as you can get to the real indigenous um, experience mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the town. Um, I have sort of, I could say, dip my toes into indigenous sure, waters, right. I would say, but um, I'm not, I, I wouldn't be able to to, to, to swim in it, yeah. right, per se. Okay. Um, and so my understanding of it is limited to what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And because it's limited to what I've seen, I can't really... Um, completely and utterly classify myself as that. I have an understanding of um, what the framework is and what you're supposed to like, um, the basic understandings of it. But if I were to be um, charged with um, teaching it to someone or carrying out myself, I would not be able to do it because all of my experience has been from watching people do it mm-hmm. and not from doing it myself, mm-hmm. um, which is an important aspect of indigenous communities, I think, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the aspect of doing and living the experience in order to fully learn it. Um, also, we don't really talk about it, and because I don't do it, there's no like real opportunities for it to come up. Right. Everything that I know up to this point of like indigenous, my indigenous culture per se, um, came f- as a direct result of like a specific event happening that prompted this um, traditional ritual or something to have to be done, and that's how you learn about it. If that sure. situation doesn't occur, then I probably right. have not learned about it. Right. Yeah. And probably here in Singapore. That's not being presented. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) guess. Ruth, how about you? Um, So unlike Enos, my parents are fully indigenous. Mm -hmm. So moving into the urban areas, they brought along this indigenous knowledge they had. Mm -hmm. So it was always enforced, you know, on us. Mm -hmm. It's always something that has been at home. You should do this. It should be done this way. Mm -hmm. And even to the point whereby even though we were in this urban areas and there were different ways of doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, for example, the pounding of the mahango, you know, there were ways. So it's it's maize. So mm. to make it fine powder for cooking, yeah. you know, there were machines that could do this. But oftentimes, you know, our parents would want us to do it the traditional way yes. because they would want they would want to you know keep the tradition going. Exactly. And also right. because um among the 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 elders from my mom's side, um, going to the north, going back home, like it's always down to me. Like I should do this. So it was more of a thing that. You know, I was I was exposed to it, and I had to do it because I was the oldest. Yeah. So it's something that 
um, I would say I grew up with. Mm-hmm. So it is within me because not like even though we moved away from, you know, the northern part of Namibia, my mom being so indigenous at home, she always enforced it on me every day. Because I teaching like, you know, like back home, the grand people would do things this way because mm-hmm. of this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much tied to my indi- indigenous knowledge and everything. And I think being here in Singapore makes me um, question a lot of things a bit. But then it still makes me also recognize that, you know, like there's a big difference from what I've, from what, who I was at home or what I've learned at home and, you know, in, in the world, you know, yeah. Yeah. because I'm, it's a diverse community. Yeah. Mm. So I learn a lot of, of similarities from like my indigenous groups and, you know, things from other people. Oh, that's so great. That's really cool. I know, I feel like that, that's like the UWC mission. Yeah, that's really Working. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> um, I know. Um, well, off of that, I actually have one more sort of extension question, and that is, by this definition, it really seems like to be indigenous, you need to be in the culture and be doing it and be living it. So can you be indigenous and live in, like, New York City? Can you be both? Do you want me to take this on? Mm-hmm. You want to go? Um, I say yes you can Um, what makes me say this is because um, with like Ruth's example and my example in a way Mm -hmm. um, although Ruth is definitely to a stronger extent than mine Mm -hmm. um, we go back to the village the the, 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 Mm -hmm. the core um, Mm -hmm. part of of an indigenous society every holiday Mm -hmm. and so because or most holidays and so because you're going back to like um, your, your roots right. and you're um, going to experience and live um, the indigenous experience, mm-hmm. each time you go back, the, 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 the experience is refreshed within your memory mm-hmm. and like sort of, I don't know how to explain it, but like within your soul and your, your, mm-hmm. your, your, your body and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, you, sometimes you learn something new, but each time you go back, you sort of feel this sort of um, connection to the place. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's difficult to explain. Mm-hmm. It's like... It's like a, a, a good feeling um, that like sort of pushes its way through most of your senses, at least for me, mm-hmm. um, like through the, 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 the feel of the place, um, the, 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 the smell, the, the, yeah. the way it looks, everything. And, yeah. and that, that experience within like the indigenous community is completely different and separate from um, like the, an urban town or setting. So I could say that um, even if you live like within New York City, mm-hmm. um, if you're able to still connect on some I, uh, I, I'm going to say spiritual or like um, personal level yeah. to um, your indigenous community or society, um, then you, you still count as indigenous regardless of where you live. And also, it also like has a connection to the, uh, to the fact that um, indigenous communities are finding it very difficult to survive in like a modernizing and industrializing world. And yeah. so there's more often than not, there's going to be members of the family or a member of the family that has to venture out from the community into um, the mainstream like or I hate to say this but developed I yeah. hate that word in its connotations yeah. um, developed world in yeah. order to be able to um, support his family or their family at home and make sure that they're able to still take part in their um, indigenous activities and like way of life right. but not be at such a heavy disadvantage right yeah you know that actually brings us to a different question here yeah uh, and it's, it's a question that's I mean it's it is an interesting one and one that we realize has some uh, has some connotations, just like you mentioned, there's a connotation to the word develop. There's mm-hmm. connotations to this question that may seem a little bit kind of uh, almost aggressive, uh, but that's that's kind of not the intention of the question. The intention of the question is 
as with anything else in TOK, right, to explore uh, and to understand fully, to, to remain open and curious. So this is a question that's actually come up in, you know, our TOK classes before. Other, other students who don't have the Indigenous perspective have brought this up, and we were wondering about your perspective on it. So uh, the question that came up is, um, some are suggesting that Indigenous cultures are dying because the culture is, quote, unquote, not strong enough to compete in a, in a globalized kind of post-industrialized world, and thus assimilation, right, this concept of everyone becoming essentially this monolithic entity, everyone the same, uh, is inevitable, that it's going to happen at some point. Um, what do you guys think? Because that's obviously a very profound question for you guys. It has, uh, there's a stake in the game for you guys, right? So what do you guys think? Um, I would say that depends on exactly what is being lost. Because like for me, like, let me say, like, in my culture, you don't give something with a left... You don't take something and you don't give something with a left hand. Yeah. Mm. And every time I do it, I'm still like, oh, okay, sorry. Like, I put it in the other hand and I give it to you. Yeah. I'm so, sorry, I'm going to jump in there because it's really cool because uh -huh. with my culture, it's the same. And is I, it? And I'm, I'm, you know, just straight up Indian, uh, general Indian culture. That's not... Really? Everything's done with the right hand. When you're yeah. giving something, we're taking something. Yep. Yeah. And, and I sorry, think I'm it's something fine. that I can never lose <laughs> because every time I do something with a left hand, I feel guilty. Just so, wrong. Yeah, it feels, it feels <laughs> so wrong. Yeah. But then in, in the sense of maybe that, it's, that it's, we are losing indigenous culture, it'd be like the Ovahimba people in, the, in Namibia. Mm. So like most of, most of them have this, you know, this braids like they don't really bath mm. and they, 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 they're actually naked from on top and then they just have like a small skirt or something. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like, you know, in, in the world that we are living in now where, you know, like it's, people will be like, no, it's not good and everything. No, they will also feel you no, know, not not ashamed, but intimidated, you know. Mm -hmm. And they would also want to be like, okay, maybe we should cover up a bit more because this is this is where we are moving. Mm -hmm. So for me, it depends. It depends on what exactly it is. Not everything will be lost, but maybe some of it will definitely be lost, but mm -hmm. not all. Um, my take on that question is that um, cultures are all cultures, indigenous and otherwise, are to me, in a way, living, breathing organisms. They change and adapt and evolve over time to um, changes within the, ge uh, the geographical setting, um, within societies, and they interact with other cultures and adopt pieces from those cultures and sort of evolve into um, different forms. Like what you would consider indigenous today would not be necessarily the same thing that was indigenous 700 years ago. It would be pretty different, right. uh, and it changes and it evolves. Um, so when it comes to thinking of cultures, I think that all cultures are eventually, at some point, not going to be the same as they are now. They're going to change and evolve and react to the times. Mm -hmm. But um, my perspective on the idea of indigenous cultures, like eventually, like una being unable to survive because they're weak per se, mm -hmm. um, I think that's an oversimplification um, and a controversial way to look at it because. Um, because the nature of um, indigenous cultures and societies, um, the, 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 the way in which like, the knowledge is produced and shared is that um, it's very completely and inherently tied to the geographical setting that it is in. Mm -hmm. And um, because a lot of the things that you learn within the um, indigenous communities is learned through action and practice, like it's, it's taught verbally and um, through like doing things, mm -hmm. um, it completely opposes what I would say is I hate to use this word, but I'm use it anyway. The Western mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Um, way of like knowledge production, mm -hmm. which is oh, 
um, put it down in writing, right. yeah. share it with yeah. everyone, no matter what the context is, no matter where it is, right. as long as you can read yes. that particular writing, you should be able to replicate the method. Right. That does yes. not apply to indigenous societies whatsoever. Right. It is completely rooted in its context. geographical setting, and you mm -hmm. cannot transpose or take um, customs and um, practices from one area and shift them over to some other place. Um, mm -hmm with a completely different like climate, warm weather, and mm -hmm. stuff like that, mm -hmm. because it just wouldn't work. Yeah. So, um, you know, the question of these societies like having to assimilate, I feel like there's an, uh, an aspect of assimilation to everything. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually all cultures are gonna change and take on like pieces of other cultures. Mm -hmm. Even saying that assimilating, assimilating to Western culture is a bit iffy for me because Western culture is incredibly fragmented. What you would mm -hmm. consider, I guess, um, I don't know, black American culture is completely different from what you would call white American culture, different from sure. Mexican American yeah. culture. And, yeah. and, and like the idea that Western culture or like um, mainstream culture is like this monolith, monolithic yeah. ideal, yeah. Um, and that all culture is eventually gonna shift to that, I, I'm gonna say I reject that, I, that notion mm -hmm. because there's always gonna be variations and differences and segment, um, segmentations of like each specific culture. So when thinking of indigenous cultures and how it clashes with this, because um, of the of the material way in which indigenous societies need to um, are are like passed on and like um, mm -hmm. their knowledge is shared, um, because their activities and their ability to practice their customs and stuff are being restricted mm -hmm. um, by a modernizing world. Um, being able to practice and continue like sharing this this knowledge is becoming harder and harder. But I f uh, I'm of the opinion that it's going to change. Like, because um, I, I had an English teacher for um, my 11th grade who was working on creating a, a catalog for like um, the different customs in her specific culture. Mm -hmm. And so she um, basically um, spoke to a few traditional leaders in her village and she was collecting information and like putting it down. So that's the, the this idea as like a manifestation of the way in which um, cultures adapt. And because like, oh, what is supposed to be taught and done Mm -hmm. um, are taught through like doing and verbally mm -hmm. has now been changed into like writing and people can still learn from it in that way. Mm -hmm. So I don't think indigenous cultures are going to die off or that they're too weak to fight. They'll just mold and change depending mm -hmm. on the stimulus they're exposed to. Mm -hmm. um, I do think we need to be careful though because we can't just say, oh, it's fine, it's just gonna work itself out. Because I think mm -hmm. of, let's say, the San community in, in Namibia. Um, they are a hunter-gatherer pastoral group that um, settled around Central Southern Africa, um, Southern Africa, mm -hmm. and because of colonization, etc., um, they ended up getting split down the middle mm -hmm. um, between Namibia and Botswana. Mm -hmm. So typically, they'll be able to cross what is the imaginary border to them. It doesn't exist um, to like to exchange between communities, trade, etc., etc. But because of this like new, I guess, paradigm or understanding of um, property, like it's owned by specific people, belongs to specific people, mm -hmm. that doesn't really exist. And there's this like the world is for everyone and. We right. take what you need right. from it and you take what you don't need. Um, because those two things are clashing, they are finding themselves disenfranchised. And so if it were up to me in an idealistic sense, I would um, collaborate, like have like two countries and stuff collaborating to section off a section of like the, the, the country that they, like, they, they don't really need to use mm -hmm. and um, preserve it for indigenous communities to continue practicing the way that they live. Um, this again, is a really complicated issue because it comes into issues like conservation, um, yeah. whether they're able really to 
go back to that way of life, especially with the idea of scarcity and like extinct, a species going extinct. Yeah. But I think it's a little bit unfair to these communities because they were able to live for so many years in harmony with the environment, and right. then the um, air quotes Western way of yeah. life right. invaded, and then like basically cut the populations and the yeah. and the environment and damaged it to a, like a, such a horrible state that they can't live the way that they used to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's finding a balance like between um, completely shifting and changing yeah. um, indigenous cultures to mold the Western perspective yeah. and giving them room and time to thrive on their own and um, making concessions um, within the Western model of doing things in order to preserve those cultures. Yeah. So no, I, I was just going to say, you're talking a lot of, of, of these beautiful ideas. And we watched a UN video, and I know that one of the UN sort of goals is this idea of like protecting indigenous cultures so mm-hmm. that they don't die off, yeah. as, as is the way that it, it seems to be talked about. Um, but it does start to feel a little iffy that sometimes it feels like there's some white saviorism that's coming through. Yeah. So where's that balance? Like, how, how should or could indigenous societies be protected without it being some like dominant culture, white savior yeah. complex? How, how could they essentially have the tools to protect themselves and right. have the autonomy and the authority to be able to hold their own without having to rely, quote unquote, on like a dominant culture coming in and just saying, this is how, this is how it's going to be. This is how we yeah. are going to protect you. We are going to save you because that has its whole, obviously, connotations over there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, all right. <laughs> This is such a complicated question. It is a complicated <laughs> question. <laughs> Again, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah. but it's an important thing, yeah. and I'm glad that you recognize that it's... I'm glad that you brought up the idea of, like, white saviorism, mm-hmm. um, because the, when, when, when you say protecting and preserving indigenous cultures, I'm a bit skeptical, because what does this entail? Does this entail um, giving them, like, resources, let's say, money... Um, access to water, healthcare, etc. Um, that way, they can transition more into like um, mm-hmm. the the mainstream way of living. Mm-hmm. Or is it actually um, trying to meet the needs of these people within the the confines of their own like indigenous way of life? Mm-hmm. So um, I think an example of this would be, let's say, um, um, the U.S. deciding to um, take a big chunk of um, the land within, like I guess. Like with, I think it's the Mid East. Not sure. Basically, a, a chunk in the yeah, Midwest part yeah. of the country, um, and deciding to t- give it like back to um, indigenous communities. Not necessarily like moving <laughs> people out, but allowing them to have like their own um, autonomous um, systems of living within like those large areas of land. Um, it, is that something that they're actually willing to do in terms of like if this if they tell you if the indigenous communities tell you that this is the way to preserve the culture that you say you want to preserve mm-hmm. are you willing to actually do it and that comes into the question mm-hmm. of like um, economic slash political gain um, right. versus um, actually doing right by these communities yeah. where do people in power draw that line mm-hmm. and to which extent are they willing to like give up what, what someone would say um, is power mm-hmm. um to these indigenous communities. Yeah, it makes me, it really, I don't know, it makes me really uncomfortable because in the United States, there's such a tragic history with indigenous societies. And essentially how I, how I view it now, and I'm not an expert on um, Native Americans, but 
there are these reservations where it really feels like um, colonizers came over and negotiated really tricky contracts with them. And like you were saying earlier, actually, there was never this idea among the Native Americans that you could own land. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the contracts came through, firstly, they were often like in English or French or Spanish. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so there wasn't like a mutual understanding, but not just in terms of linguistics, but in terms of concepts, like yeah. big fundamental concepts as well. So these, these Native Americans were just sort of corralled and whittled down into these reservations. But even now, like in the Dakotas, now that there is the the United States is getting further into fracking so that like the Americans can find their own oil rather than being so dependent on the Middle East. Um, there's this political gain to once again whittle into those exactly. reservations and the Native Americans there are so disenfranchised. They don't have the political voice. They don't have the political power. Mm -hmm. And when they try to, there was this huge protest a couple of years ago um, where they really stopped these big companies from coming in, then sometimes the American like military is sent out. And yeah, and it's awful. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to, I, I want to help and I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Whenever I think of like situations like this, I think the next step is to talk to people within those communities. What do they want? What are their problems? What do they need? Yeah. Figure the, figuring that out first, instead of going off of like assumptions like say, oh, um, they want to get rid of all the, 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 the industrialization and modernization brought to this place, um, remove all of the white settlers and keep the land to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that, that's like a, what I would call a straw man. Mm -hmm. um, taking someone's argument or their um, belief or value and building up a, a weird caricature of it mm -hmm. to attack that caricature instead of exactly what they're trying to say. So yes. first, ensuring that when you're discussing these issues, you're actually talking with members of the community, figuring out exactly mm -hmm. what they want um, and finding some way to, and I don't like using this term too often, middle ground, because that suggests that two ways of thinking are equally valid when sometimes mm, that's not nice. necessarily the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm gonna say it anyway, middle ground yeah. um, between um, the two different groups and finding a way to maintain um, that culture while still not like completely um, disenfranchising or um, taking away what belongs, even though like other cultures won't think that it belongs to them, what belongs right. to people who've been living there for years. Yeah. So um, I would say that someone, a family who's been living within like a specific spot for three generations, mm -hmm. they count as indigenous by that point, mm -hmm. um, to an extent, not like indigenous community, but they are um, geographically tied to that place where they live. So it would be number one, irresponsible and unfair to completely take away their land for them. Um, but for me, the first step always with like dealing like um, with issues of disenfranchisement is first of all, access to basic needs. Um, those basic needs include food, water, um, healthcare, um, and the opportunity to education. The opportunity to education, that we, I need to clarify because um, not doesn't have to be the Western mold of education. Mm -hmm. um, I would think that it could be an indigenous mold of education, allowing for more indigenous courses um, to like sort of be integrated within into school mm -hmm. um, environments that way people can like, or for, from indigenous communities can run programs to teach mm -hmm. um, their fellow brothers and sisters um, the, the customs of mm -hmm. their traditions and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And making it so that we live in a society where you don't have to completely forget about your culture in order to make money and be able to support your family. Mm -hmm. That is the main reason why a lot of indigenous cultures end up dying out because 
they cannot survive without conforming to the Western world society. And so I would think that allowing um, communities to be able to thrive independent of like um, Western world societies, like in terms of like um, income, money, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. owning property, which is something that they don't really do to begin with, yeah. um, making it so that those things aren't necessarily necessary in order to survive within the world. Yeah. Very first steps to ensuring that um, you, number one, do justice for these communities, and number two, ensure that they're able to live on. Yeah. That's, and that's one of the most kind of frustrating. Yeah, I think they should yeah, also be, you know, respected because mm -hmm. it's a thing of like in Namibia, this, um, this indigenous people, the Ovahimbas and the Sun people are like tourist attractions. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think like the most important thing sometimes is also just to ask if the people are comfortable with being exposed to different people because just because they live in the certain area and maybe it's also part of a tourist attraction and then they end up going there and most of the time they cause conflicts because these indigenous people don't want them there. Sure. You see? Yeah. And, and it's also hard for these indigenous people because now they also probably they are living in on the land they don't own. It's also hard for them to say no. Yeah. Um, so it's a thing of, I think it should also tie down to respect again, like these people should be respected and they should have the opportunity to say yes or no we, yeah. yes we want to share our culture no we don't want to share our culture exactly. yeah. and it shouldn't be a thing of you know if you're not going to share your culture we are not going to give you the basic needs exactly right. basic mm -hmm. needs yeah. should be something it should be a fundamental something it should be there That's and they should be respected they should have that decision to decide whether they want to be exposed to other people or not exactly. yeah. Yeah. yeah oh i love this point we talked about this a little bit on last week's podcast yeah. actually um, but I think especially for our listeners, because all of us are such travelers. I mean, we were before COVID and oh, maybe one day we will be again. But um, I have definitely been in those situations where I see a people and generally indigenous people and oh my gosh, what beauty like and how different they are from me. And what a fantastic photo opportunity. But I would hate that. I would hate that if someone came into my backyard and just like took a picture of me while I'm doing whatever I do in my backyard, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, and I think it's really important for us and for our listeners to just consider that, like when we have those travel opportunities again, to really think about like, what are you taking a picture of? Is it okay? Have you asked for that consent? And, yeah. and I even know, I used to live in Myanmar and there's an indigenous community there that believes that if a picture is taken of them, part of their soul is taken as well. And that's really serious. Like now we're talking about, you know, like really spiritual and um, ideas of who you are, of their identity. Um, so I think that that's a really important concept, a really important point we can take away from this podcast that I didn't even know we were going to get into. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. Um, and as, one of the things I really appreciate in this conversation is how, how much you're thinking about your words. And you're saying things like, I don't like to say this word, but like middle ground. And I don't like to say it because it implies that there are these two you know, equal sides. So I wanted to ask you a question from, from my classes have tripped over the word tribe and tribal. And this is a word that I've also used even earlier in this podcast. Same. But okay, okay, so I wanted to ask, like, is this word appropriate to use for indigenous societies? Is it synonymous? Is it not like... Okay, so this is um, a little bit complicated because it depends on what you think or what image comes to your head when you say tribe. Um, when we say tribe, me and Ruth, I think it would be closer to the word ethnicity. So okay. it's less about like um, the connotation of tribe, oh, mm -hmm. small group of people mm -hmm. who live in a specific area and they um, um, are like 
what, what, how can I say this? Um, <laughs> I hate this word. Not like not um, modernized and not developed. They're still right. living in like the traditional, yeah, yeah. Right. primitive way yes. of living. I had that, a number yeah. of classes trip over that. Yeah, like, that connotation of tribe primitive, being primitive, simplistic. Yeah, that is yeah. not what tribe means to me and Ruth. Tribe is more akin to ethnicity. What is your cultural identity, your blood, your race? I hate to say that um, because sure. it's not really, uh, uh, it doesn't really apply, but in that sense. Right. So you can be um, someone who lives in a city and has been living there for the past three years. But when I ask you what your tribe is, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, what um, tiny indigenous community do you, take part in every holiday even if you don't do that it's more like oh what is your heritage mm-hmm. your um your parents heritage and mm-hmm. like they're they're not blood but yeah. more like <coughs> language culture beliefs that that is what right. we mean by tribe mm-hmm. and so that like I, I didn't really like think about it that much but when i got here i realized that the connotations between tribe and not a tribe are completely different yeah. so someone could for me then i say um someone could be living um in a mansion with 17 bedrooms three cars and is a ceo of a of a, of a, of a company mm-hmm. but he's still a part of the tribe that um that he's a part of because tribe is more akin to ethnicity to me mm-hmm. and see. so whenever we mention tribe yeah. i like i like to keep that in mind that it's not like about which specific group and more like it's more like um which culture which heritage which blood right. what right. blood do you have of course yeah. in three reasons yeah yeah ruth what do you think do you agree does that sound right yeah definitely yeah. i agree with emma like it's, it's all down to that you know it's all down to we want to know what language do you speak exactly. yeah like um that. from which part are you of that country it's mm-hmm. not it's not to which small group it's it's more about we want to know more about you mm-hmm. exactly. yeah, i want to know more about what practices do you do mm-hmm. like exactly where you are from you know so mm-hmm. that we get this image oh, oh they're from this area of namibia oh they're from this place this is mm-hmm. yeah this is what we mean uh, am i right in saying just before we started this podcast you guys were just talking about like where your respective yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting, and that's not like a—is that like a common discussion point that you would talk about if you were to to meet other people from uh, Namibia? Is that something that would come up? Um, it can come up, but yeah. mostly you're able to tell from the way they speak, oh, yeah, um, their mannerisms. Mm-hmm. It's just like a sort of um, a- energy to a person. You can oh. tell that oh, you're from this particular tribe, and yeah. you ask them, oh, are you this particular tribe? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. That's just like yeah. something that you like just double check, kind of like asking, oh. Um, are those some Nikes that you're wearing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or when I see like uh, a gentleman in neon shorts, I know that they're Australian. Exactly. I just confirm. <laughs> <laughs> Not that stereotypical, though. <laughs> White people stereotypes. Woo! <laughs> Love it. Love oh. it. Um, so I think we had one more question for you, actually. Yeah. And that was about, I wanted to change a little bit. Talk, we were talking a lot about um, indigenous societies mm. and people. But I want to ask you about indigenous knowledge. So what is indigenous knowledge? And how is it different from, I don't know what we want to call that. Let's be, let's think about our words here. Like, yeah. you know, quote unquote, mainstream, mainstream. knowledge, yeah. big air quotes there though, like um, other knowledge, knowledge from the dominant community around it. Mm. You see what I mean? Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> what do you guys think? Uh, I think indigenous knowledge would be um, mostly like practices mm-hmm. in your like culture that build up your knowledge. Like you don't take things with the right with the with the left hand. Yeah. I think that would be indigenous knowledge, you know, yeah. because maybe it's rude. You don't greet el- elderly people upstage. You bend a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that is like indigenous knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
And then mainstream knowledge. Eno should assist me there. I think before I go on to like mainstream knowledge, I think what um, the first thing that I need to say is that main mainstream air quotes mm -hmm. knowledge um, and um, indigenous knowledge. Now this is going to be a hot take, but I'm going to say that it's um, they're fundamentally the same. They come from the same sort of um, desire, the desire to understand and um, make sense of the world around you. Mm -hmm. And because the, I could say to an extent that indigenous knowledge is produced using the same scientific method that is, or a version of the scientific method that is applied within mainstream knowledge where um, carry out experiments, hypotheses, um, and experiments to test those hypotheses, um, get the results, adjust the experiment to fit the results, et cetera, et cetera, until you mm -hmm. produce knowledge that, that kind of applies to, um, or that applies. Now, this is where they differ. Mm -hmm. Mainstream knowledge looks for um, theorems um, um, and stuff like that. That um, is a general understanding of a concept that can apply to multiple different contexts and like all over. Um, the, in, in other mm. situations, Generally. whereas indigenous knowledge is directly tied to the um, specific um, instances in which it's produced. So I would say that um, mainstream knowledge um, is suited or it's produced with the, with the idea of extrapolation into different um, contexts mm -hmm. in mind, whereas indigenous knowledge does not necessarily have that as a as, a, as an important aspect of it. If it applies to the area within which it was produced, mm -hmm. that is all the importance that, that that's tied to it. And there's also like the fact that a lot of indigenous knowledge is inherently tied up with spiritual connotations to mm -hmm. further strengthen the importance of that knowledge and make it more um, important for people to remember. Because mm -hmm. this knowledge, people depended on it for survival. Mm -hmm. If you didn't know which plant to pick, um, yes. you'd be dead. Yes. <laughs> and so by tying it in with spiritual um, um, sort of um, ideals mm -hmm. and stuff, um, that makes it more important or more prevalent and can survive through, if not through action, then through the stories that are told within it. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea of doing as well, um, I think it's the same within mainstream knowledge. Like you can't really learn, learn something until you practice it. You can't practice it until you do it. Okay. But you can sort of understand it through reading. Yeah. Um, whereas with indigenous knowledge, you can learn about it and you can you can say that you understand it through reading, mm -hmm. but within the the, the, the the paradigm of indigenous knowledge themselves, mm -hmm. you cannot understand something until you do it. Mm -hmm. You can yeah. read about it, you can watch it happening, but until you actually do the action, mm -hmm. sure. then um, a lot of indigenous communities decide that you do not have that knowledge. Mm -hmm. right. And again, once again, it's like the idea of like having, it's not really strong within it, because if you were to think of uh, scientific journals. Whenever you mm -hmm. quote someone or you use someone else's data, you need to quote you say, oh, this information belongs to so-and-so-and-so. Mm -hmm. With indigenous knowledge, it's not really there that mm -hmm. much, um, at least within the communities, because you can reuse the technique that mm -hmm. uh, a community nearby you has used in order to um, do something or replicate what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, and this I learned, I think, a few months ago when I was like researching on the interactions between different tribes in Namibia. Mm -hmm. I learned that um, the San community would sometimes interact with... Um, I'm not sure exactly. It's a, a dialect of the Avamba community, and they would um, meet at a point, um, at a midpoint, I think, between their two geographical locations where they would 
um, practice um, metalsmithing together. And um, that idea of knowledge being able to be shared without like some sort of compensation, more like, oh, we both need to do this, so let's work together. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can use my techniques, I can use yours. That idea is something that is significantly lacking within, like, I guess, um, the Western mold of thing, mm -hmm. because if you can't really pay for it, then you have no business trying to use it. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to indigenous knowledge being put into Western knowledge, I think a lot of indigenous communities react reflectively to that because they are aware of the, not to be um, provocative, but predatory nature yeah. of like um, Western understanding of knowledge and how a lot of times indigenous knowledge, cultures, arts, music, etc., mm -hmm. will be trivialized and commercialized for profit mm -hmm. instead of um, being understood and internalized within the people that learn so that they can live mm -hmm. and continue the essence of the knowledge mm -hmm. onto future generations. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of things that indigenous communities react like quite violently to, especially if you're thinking of like um, Native Americans, right. um, in, at least with the San in Namibia, mm -hmm. it's a little bit less so because they kind of depend on exporting their customs, their art to um, tourists and people coming in right. to view because that's how they make the money. Right. So it's either do it or die. Right. Yeah. Oof. So it's like it's a. Well, so I have one last question for you on this on this note. Um, why do you think that indigenous knowledge is one of the TOK things? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know that we have seven TOK themes. And we're, we're starting, we're getting close to wrapping it up. We have indigenous societies and then religion is our last one. So why do you think indigenous societies is, is one of them? Mind you, this is not one of the themes for Enos's grade because he's on the other syllabus, so he doesn't have this theme. But, You're right, Ruth. But <laughs> <laughs> This is for you. Sorry, this is not for you, but you did talk about indigenous, indigenous society societies. as an area. It was an area, it is an area of knowledge. Yeah. Area of knowledge. Yeah. I was confused yeah. by what you yeah. meant. Yes, it's yes, a sorry. It's a different structure for the new syllabus, but yeah. Uh, but similar. Was well, there a new syllabus already? Yeah. Or does the IB like, push out a new syllabus every year or something? <laughs> we got a profit, you know? We got to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, well, I guess, I guess the, the more general question that would apply to both of you is, why do we look at this within TOK, right? Why do we yeah. study indigenous knowledge systems and indigenous knowledge societies generally in TOK? Mm -hmm. I think maybe because it's such a diverse thing that people have little knowledge on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people undermine it. But then actually when we dive deep into it, we see how complicated it is a bit and how many conflicts, you know, it brings about and how many debates come from it. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe, you know, to resolve, to understand better mm -hmm. indigenous people mm -hmm. and also to respect them and not so they die out also, yeah. not right. so they die out. Yeah. So we still keep them, so we still keep this going and still keep it alive. So this is why I think it has also you know, become a theme, part mm -hmm. of our theme. For yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, um, because the IB is really like um, focuses on sustainability um, as a core part of it, mm -hmm. and when I think about this, um, it's that a lot of indigenous communities, in a sense, have mastered the art of living in harmony with their um, mm -hmm. environment, mm -hmm. like living within it and not like damaging it to an extent. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, indigenous knowledge systems is like a topic within TOK or like within the IB um, curriculum um, is ties into this idea in a sense because um, there are like talks and ideas of people um, taking inspiration 
from indigenous communities and how they maintain the world in which they lived in mm-hmm. and trying to apply that to the climate crisis that the world mm-hmm. is will be facing in quite a bit so like you think of i guess california and mm-hmm. um burning um like dry wood like before mm-hmm. the wildfire season starts mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of indigenous communities have already like internalized and that yeah. they know that this is something you're supposed to do and um unfortunately um sometimes governments tend to neglect that and decide oh we're not going to do it and um, I think that sort of looking into people who've already lived here and already understand more about the area or like um, how to maintain it than you would perhaps yeah. um, is an important way to um, find a second perspective, a different way to look at um, the situation and another way to try to address it. Mm-hmm. With really rich knowledge systems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Guys, thank you so much again. Listeners, if you have additional questions, please email me or email Paris, and we will um, try to get back with some answers there. Thank, Thank you, you guys, guys so much. This was so yeah, cool. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> I don't know about our listeners, but I learned so much. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so much. So thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. the time to do this. Thank you. Thanks, Anas. Thanks, Ruth. All right.